excuse me, from where come wars and fightings among you, come they not hear even of your loss that war in your members. Ye lost and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your loss. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think that the scripture saith in vain, The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother, speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. Because if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Come now, ye that say today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, or the next day, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. For ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we will live, and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boasting. All such rejoicing is vain or evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is vain or sin, in this case, sin. Well, as we look at this passage, we find uh, uh, it's a very solemn passage to think about, considering, uh, considering that it is written to the church and written uh, to admonish those who are very lustful and covetous in their lives. Several areas uh, wish to speak to on the problem with lustful desires is that first of all it creates conflict in the church as we know that uh, uh, the lustful desires of one's heart is to promote themselves rather than the Lord and it is to um, in a very real way uh, to sin against the Lord as well as against others. Uh, Secondly true submission to God is the only cure for sin of lustful desires. A true submission to God is the only cure for the sin of lustful desires. Um, Because um, apart from that, we are operating on 
our own selves and the desires of the flesh. And thirdly, a good and godly attitude is not to judge, but to seek the will of God in all things. And so uh, it is better that we should seek the will of God rather than to judge others. Okay, so we'd like to uh, look at this passage a little more closely now. And uh, we see here that in verses 1 through 5, that conflicts in the church come of these lustful desires. He says, From where come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hear even of your lust, that war in your members? And the idea of lust here can be thought of as covetousness. Our lustful desires are to want something that is um, outside of the realm of the spiritual life. Um, it could be most anything, but uh, it, it, most in most cases we we find it begins with those common elements of man, where they have envy and strife against others and want to have their own way and uh, want to promote themselves and uh, even in verse 4 he calls he calls the people of this nature he calls them spiritual adulterers and spiritual adulteresses <clears throat> because they are looking to promote things outside of the spirit of god <coughs> Excuse me. From where come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hear even of your lust that war in your members? So he's talking about believers, and these uh, lustful desires are in conflict in the church. In verse 2, he says, Ye lust and have not ye kill and desire to have. Well, we know that killing is murder. And so what might we liken this sort of thing to, as to to hate people and to act in a manner that is to destroy others or to truly um, have a spirit of, of anger and resentment and envy against others. He calls it murder, in the sense, to kill, and desire to have. And so when we think of many of the lustful desires that are in the world, we know that they incorporate many different elements, whether it's material things, it could be power, it could be one's own way, it could be self-centeredness, selfishness, if you will, it could be to promote arrogancy and pride and resentment. Loss can take on many different forms, and we find that none of them are very pretty at all. In fact, we find that most of the programming that we uh, see on television or any kind of media, most of the programming has to do with this very same thing has to do with lust and various uh, covetous practices which they, they promote. And killing, and hating people, and murder, 
And when we think of actually war, we know every war is full of all of this. Uh, the war between Israel and Hamas, we know that, is, that Hamas hates Israel. They want to destroy the, the, the country of Israel, the nation of Israel. And uh, we find that this conflict, of course, promotes like conflict. That uh, the Israelis, they have to defend themselves. And in defending themselves, of course, they think it is necessary to destroy Hamas. Hamas wants to destroy them. They want to destroy Hamas. And uh, we find this uh, uh, kind of conflict uh, uh, almost uh, the longevity of it just seems to go on and on and on. In fact, uh, in the Middle East, we know that there has been this, this ongoing conflict in the Middle East, hatred, if you will, between uh, the Arabs and the Israelis. And uh, many, many centuries, <clears throat> it would make the Hatfields and the McCoys look like child's play. Um, for what has been going on for the many centuries in the Middle East and continues to go on. Uh, and it's, it's uh, of course, very tragic indeed. Uh, one does not have to pick a side and blame anybody. Uh, we know that this is a war is something that Jesus said would continue. There would be wars and rumors of wars up until the Lord came again. And of course, uh, the war of Armageddon, which is viewed more like a campaign of battles than just one battle, though there will be a decisive battle, we find that um, it culminates in a great uh, tumult of, of uh, bloodshed uh, at the end of the age. Um, and of course, the very sad thing is sometimes conflicts arise within the church and this is most sad indeed is that uh, Christians like to shoot one another if you will uh, they, they like to shoot at, at one another uh, and uh, that makes the fiery dart to the wicked look pretty pretty easy compared sometimes if you've ever been in a church, a church conflict you know that people become very angry very resentful it causes splits in the church, and sometimes it destroys the whole church uh, to, to have uh, serious uh, conflicts in the church. And um, I suppose we recognize that as James um, is writing uh, to his brethren, to his brethren, that uh, he writes uh, concerning these, uh, these uh, the stress of of, of these relationships and uh, he wants to bring peace of course to the relationships between his brethren and in uh, and, and the church as well and uh, look at verse 3 uh, verse 3 says ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss so it is that the lust that they have perpetrated toward one another um, creates these these uh, conflicts in the church and he says yet ye have not because ye ask not and so the one thing that is lacking is prayer it seems 
in most cases in, in the midst of these conflicts. Uh, and not just ritual prayer or ceremony prayer, we're talking about real prayer. Most uh, conflicts can be ended if people will forgive one another. Especially you think about that in relationship to marriages. Many marriage relationships uh, end in serious conflict, uh, but when you stop and think about it, most it, they could just forgive one another. The trouble would disappear. If they could say, I forgive you, and, and the other person says, I forgive you as well, and they, they forgive, there is a chance for a marriage relationship to resolve its problem and uh, to go back to trying to um, create a, a loving home. Uh, but very seldom you find that because uh, they are, are they're in the midst of this lustful desire uh, situation where there is envy and there's strife, there's covetousness, there's a lack of uh, willingness to, to uh, come to God and to pray uh, and ask the Lord to heal them. And when you think about prayer, uh, prayer is something God gives us that we might take a little bit of inventory of our own hearts. We have to humble ourselves to pray, truly pray. And only with a humble and contrite heart uh, will God hear. And, and so we, we find that, you know, it can be just meaningless words if people say, oh, I prayed about it, but nothing happened. When, in fact, uh, something was happening. It was, it, it, there was either a lack of understanding, a lack of spiritual life, um, a lack of really approaching God with a, a forgiving and a, a humble heart. Something is lacking. In, in prayer when nobody is moved on either side to resolve an issue. Now we know, of course, in, in political wars those things are somewhat different, nations against nation, and um, these conflicts are uh, beyond just a, a two people getting together. Yet the same thing is true. Uh, these lustful desires create a conflict of war and murder and killing and uh, fighting, uh, and it ought not to be in the church. But true prayer in the church, true spiritual intercession, uh, is is in need. Is a need. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. And so, uh, when when churches come together to pray, uh, sometimes we get the impression, well, prayer is is only a prayer meeting. Uh, I believe Charles Haddon Spurgeon wrote a book that was titled that, Only a Prayer Meeting, when actually prayer meetings are, supposed to, uh, are essential to the spiritual life of a church, and they're essential to the, the uh, peace of a church, uh, because it brings people to the feet of the Lord and asks the Lord to not only resolve conflicts, but to intercede or to mediate, uh, to um, supplicate before the throne of grace. Um, and uh, it, is, it is needed very much in churches. In verse 4, we look at the, the next verse. He says, 
he calls them adulterers and adulteresses and of course it's the spiritual sense of this that he is talking about it know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God and so if one is uh, if, if one is a friend of the world they're committing a spiritual uh, adultery by going off uh, and having a relationship with the world when they're supposed to be having a relationship with God uh, a right relationship with the Lord and uh, he covers both sexes by saying adulterers and adulteresses know ye not that the friendship of the world is, en- is enmity with God whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God now we know it's the world system that he's talking about here um, and the world system is, is, can be a very treacherous place uh, it is very treacherous in the world and uh, there are a great many evils that can befall people in the world and once, once you start courting the world system and living according to the world system uh, you enter in relationships that can destroy you and destroy others as well and uh, it is sad indeed that that goes on but remember he's talking to Christians here uh, he's talking to believers those who are brethren uh, of James and so he is admonishing those who should know better in verse 5 do ye think that the scripture saith in vain the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy now this is supposed to be one of the most difficult passages there is to translate um and I guess the, the conflict is between is it talking about the spirit of God or is it talking about the spirit of man? Well, I tend to think it's just, he's talking about the spirit of man. Uh, and it's also not exactly taken from a scripture passage. It is considered to be a general teaching of the scripture rather than like Isaiah chapter 65 verse whatever uh, so it isn't uh, it isn't doesn't come from a direct passage which makes it a little more problematic um, but uh, the the verse itself I think speaks quite adequately just to say uh, do you think that the scripture saith in vain the spirit of man that dwelleth in man lusteth to envy I would put it that way myself. The spirit of man that dwelleth in man, it lusts to envy. Well, you know, there is a spirit in man. It, it, the spirit of God doesn't lead us into sin. But the spirit of man does. And, and so the spirit of man does covet. The spirit of man does envy. The spirit of man does uh, seek to create conflicts and, and to uh, proudly uh, or arrogantly put itself over others. Um, and so I've given it that view um, and uh, let the others give, them, give it their view if they want to, but that's the one I take that is talking about the spirit of man that wants to envy. Uh, but then what does he say but he giveth more grace 
Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble, which seems to fit within the framework of if a person is looking to overcome a lustful or spirit, one must seek the grace of God in their life and the forgiveness of God and to submit in a humble way, which he goes on to say, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So if one is overtaken in these lustful desires or covetous desires, how do we overcome it? But by the grace of God and by great humility or submitting, as it were, to the Lord. That is the only way that it can be overcome. And so we have the conflict in the church. True submission to God is the only cure we find. True true submission to God is the only cure for these lustful desires. Because they, they come from the fallen human nature, if you will. And then he says in verse 8, Draw near or nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. He will draw near to you. And of course that goes right along with, with the whole idea of, of um, submission to, to God in humility. That's how we draw nigh to God. We must submit to the Lord first and, uh, and seek to um, allow him to cleanse, and that's what he says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Now, um, it, it seems to imply that, that we are to do this. We are to cleanse our hands, we are to purify our hearts. But we know that it can only be obtained through a humble and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. In other words, God does the cleansing, but we have to be responsible enough to come to him and seek it uh, in all humility. In all humility. Uh, and so um, this idea of conflict uh, can only be resolved through a humble and a contrite heart. Verse 9, he says, Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Well, it's another, it's another appeal, isn't it? And the appeal in this case is, don't take these things too lightly. Rather, uh, take a, a, a serious heart matter, a heart attitude toward this. Uh, allow God to speak to you. If you, if you are in, uh, overtaken by lustful desires, allow God to speak to you. If you find yourself in the midst of conflict, don't give in to the conflict, but allow God to speak to you. Uh, know that this is, it is a, 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 a grievous thing to, uh, well, let's use the sense of grieving the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't it be to grieve the Holy Spirit to allow lustful desires or covetous desires or selfish desires or any of those kinds of things to uh, control us, you see? It would be. It would be grievous. It would grieve the Holy Spirit. Especially, remember, he's talking to Christians. Uh, they may be, we are ever so affected by uh, all these things, but at the same time, we are to be um, mature in our faith 
and realize the seriousness of allowing these lustful desires to get a hold of us. Be afflicted and mourn, weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning. Any sense of, of, uh, of uh, laughter or joyfulness for this uh, conflict ought to be immediately dampened. And uh, one can only dampen those kinds of things by realizing the gravity of it and what destruction it can bring and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. You know, what brings uh, these these, uh, kinds of attitudes to the surface is that perhaps somebody is inflaming the situation. And so they, you, you get two people together or a group of people together and you find that the situation becomes inflamed and immediately, um, you know, the sparks begin to fly, so to speak. Um, and so he says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourselves. And so we find that conflicts in marriage relationships can be settled very easily if one or both persons will simply begin to humble themselves before the Lord. What does the scripture say? I believe in Proverbs it says a soft answer answer, turneth away wrath. You ever try that in your marriage relationships? Um, you know sometimes when you get arguing with somebody you you escalate in volume and, and if you try to uh, overcome the other person with more severe um, language to kind of take control of the situation. But Proverbs says that a soft answer turns away wrath. And so the, really the way to, to solve a conflict is to use a language which will quiet a situation rather than inflame it. So you really have to think about that before you say something. You know, that kind of takes us back to what James said previously about words and how we are to use the right kind of language. We are to listen before we speak rather than speak and not listen. Um, so um, he, he points the people to humility. He says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And of course, uh, remember, this is in the Lord, or to the Lord. We humble ourselves to the Lord. Uh, It's not so much just giving in to the next person beside you that you're in conflict with. You humble yourself to the Lord. And so you try to put yourself under the submission of the Lord so that the Lord can calm the situation down uh, for it to work best. And uh, in churches, of course, when there is uh, differences of opinion, uh, sometimes a quiet response or perhaps no response at all is called upon. And you can you can uh, sometimes quiet a a situation just by um, not saying very much or by uh, re- returning to prayer uh, and and somebody humbly praying over a situation. Uh, you can you can turn to the Lord and the Lord will help you to quiet the conflict whether it's a church or in, a, or in your marriage relationship either way um, he, he says humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up 
uh, speak not evil one of another brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law but a judge. So this takes us to the last section here. We should seek the will of God in all things. And so um, what is the will of God in relationship to these conflicts? Uh, He says here, don't speak evil of another. Don't speak evil. Because to speak evil of your brother is to to ultimately judge that person. And most of the judging we do is based on emotions and other criteria that somehow influence us. Um, sometimes sometimes uh, personalities are, are, don't come together very well. A person has a different personality, they, they seem disagreeable, and all of a sudden there's a conflict. So personalities, uh, there's a lot of things that come to play, but one thing to do is to remember, don't judge your brother. Don't judge him. Allow God to speak to the heart of an individual. Um, Maybe you've had relationships like that with people before. And God can turn uh, people around. And um, I've, I've seen it myself that God can do that. And sometimes just being quiet and allowing the Lord to work in a situation uh, answers the situation better than what we can do in our own way of um, judging because it often turns out to be retaliation that we get involved in. Uh, Verse 12 tells us, it points us back to God. He says, There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy who art thou that judgest another? And so here it is. Uh, God is the lawgiver. Um, when we make up laws, why they we break them as quick as we make them, <laughs> so to speak. Um, but you know, God is the lawgiver, and so we have to follow the principles and precepts of of God's law, which means we have to humble ourselves before the Lord. We have to submit ourselves to the Lord, and we have to, in many cases. Um, Say nothing. And well, Jesus, I guess, is our best example, isn't he? What did uh, What did Jesus do? In most cases, he didn't defend himself. In most cases, I mean, there was a few times with the Pharisees. You know, he gave them very uh, wise answers from the Scripture, which confounded them. Now that's different than judging. because Jesus alone could judge righteous judgment. After all, he is the, the Messiah. Uh, and so he could make statements that would confound them. Uh, we need to submit ourselves to the Lord that the Lord will speak the truth to those who are in conflict with. Speak not evil one of another, brother. And he that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother, speaketh evil of the law, because we don't all the time rightly divide the law. 
and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. And so he says there is only one lawgiver. There is only one who is truly just, and that is God, who is able to save, who is able to destroy. Uh, verse 13, Come now ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Well, he hasn't exactly left the subject altogether. Uh, he's, he's really pointing to another common, um, I suppose, intercourse that we have in life. That is, we, we go about our daily routines and businesses and we are involved in work and, and earning money. But he says that when you are involved in these kinds of things, what do you do? In verse 14, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the next day or the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor and appeareth for a little time and then vanish away. So our natural concourse of things is, is uh, limited. It is not unlimited. Uh, we don't know what one day is going to bring over another day. Even in the common relationships that we have such as merchandising and so forth but he says uh, here in verse 14 um, our life is that way too we don't know what the next day is going to bring just as we don't know what what kind of um, uh, commercial life we're going to have even if we take our trip and go to the next town and, and try to do business we don't know what it's going to be we may profit you may you may have a loss our life is, is, is very much flexible and fleeting and, and um, uh, temporary as well. Um, it is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then it vanisheth. Uh, for ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Well, it appears that the greatest thing we can do then in relationship to our, uh, in concerning the relationships that we have, whether it be to people or to life, is to seek the will of God, to seek God's will in our relationships. Uh, in the church, we ought to seek God's will. Uh, you know, conflicts enter because we want our will, not God's will. Conflicts come up because, well, I want to have my way. And, and, and that doesn't uh, help the matter out at all. Uh, and so he says, we, we ought to seek God's will. God's will. And what is God's will? For you ought to say, if the Lord will, we will live, we will live, and we will do this or that. We ought to seek God's will in the church. Um, probably that's one of the biggest hindrances, maybe to the church altogether, is that people want their own way. And so... Sometimes, if a church isn't in harmony together, is not in true unity together, then um, there can be different fractions which will, will want to present themselves. And I guess that's what we see in the Corinthian church there, different factions that wanted to uh, promote themselves. And it wasn't uh, harmonious to the whole, as Paul tried to tell them. 
for, you, uh, for ye ought to say if the Lord will we will live and do this or that but now ye rejoice in your boasting all such rejoicing is evil well what is boasting that's just part of the proud or arrogant manner of lustful desires boasting of somebody who's braggadocious they generally are also very uh, proud and and self-promoting uh, you know I did this I did that uh, um, and they carry on and they boast and so forth and, and people who boast in their rejoicing all says rejoicing is evil he says it's evil because it, is, it comes from lustful pride therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin so the end result is as spiritual and as believers as those in the body of Christ as those who are part of the church assembly we ought rather to seek to do good rather than to do evil because to do evil in any sense is to sin against God so these are some of the things he brings out in relationship to uh, this attitude in the church that promotes itself this lustful desire of worldliness in the church shall we pray loving father we give thanks to you and ask for your blessing father that we may humble ourselves before you and rather than to try to promote our own way we need to seek your will and as we seek your will lord and take upon us a humble attitude we realize that each and every person will be at the same place where they can realize God's blessing. Father, we do thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.